You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn advanced concepts in baseball explained simply. I'm here to guide you on your baseball journey and help you paddle through what's now an ocean of misinformation, guruism, and overly technical diamond babble. Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. This is Dan Blewett. And in today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about parenting and coaching and I guess general rules as far as uh, the separation between parent and coach goes. So this is spurned by a tweet that I was uh, a little bit tuned in. I I resisted the urge to comment, Um, but it was one that I was actually surprised a bunch of my either friends or or coaches that I know were commenting on this. And so the basic of the tweet was uh, that a, it was either a tournament company or someone else said, Hey, you know, parents bringing drinks to their kids during the game, you know, handing Gatorades into the dugout is a bad look. And, uh, I generally agree with that. Now, uh, you know, as Twitter is, people just love to get angry about stuff. And a couple coaches, again, a couple who I either know very well or just know and, and respect in general, uh, also some coaches that I know and don't respect, but um, they the comments vary, but they're all like, yeah, like imagine us as college coaches not recruiting a kid who's really good because his mom handed a, a Gatorade you know, into the dugout. Now, that wasn't necessarily what the tweet was about. The tweet was just in general that, hey, this is something that doesn't need to happen. You know, this is not a great look. And I tend to agree. And here's why. So number one, I'm I'm not defending this just because this was my academy's policy, but this was our policy. We said, hey, and we explained this very early on. We said, look, there is going to be a separation between parents and the team during the game. That means parents, you have no business in the dugout. You don't need to come into the dugout for any, any circumstances to interact with your kid during the game unless there's an injury or something like that. And of course, obviously you're welcome to come in and help us take care of them. So that was our policy where we were just completely separating the dugout as if it was college or pro baseball. And so that is my overarching point here is that I think that separation is an overwhelmingly good thing. I don't think parents need to be bringing snacks or or water or Gatorade into the dugout and because it's it can be become somewhat of a slippery slope there now i agree with the coaches who were kind of against this on twitter who said look this is not something that we're going to cross a kid off our list with for which completely understand and i wouldn't expect a kid to get crossed off a list because his dad hands him a gatorade during the game but when you start to look down the list of stuff that's necessary or not necessary and this is what we told our players was look plan ahead planning ahead is part of being an adult, which means how many drinks do you need to get through the game? What other stuff do you need to get through the game? It's part of being an adult to plan ahead and have your own cooler, which yeah, some of these tournament places don't allow coolers. They always allow players to have whatever they need. So that's not a, I saw that as a couple people commented, yeah, you, you know, you can't like, you know, parents need to, they need to have a big cooler because players can't bring them in. It's like, no, players can always have whatever water they need. So that's not an issue. But we just told players, look, it's up to you. You're, you're expected to be adults. Pack yourself the stuff that you need to get through a game. And mom and dad don't need to be involved. They can just sit in the stands and we can have that separation between coaches and parents. Because again, and many of you listening to this who have kids or who are coaches, 
you're aware that there is not a great boundary at times between players and their parents during games where players will sometimes wander out of the dugout. Uh, sometimes they'll be like staring over and, and dad will be tripping at them or mom will be giving advice from the bleachers or dad will come over right next to the dugout fence. and they will be talking through the fence during the game. That's the kind of stuff that's a really big problem. And scouts do see that stuff where they're looking, they're looking at a player and they're looking at the player, looking at his dad in the stands after he swings and misses or his dad's giving him advice while he's in the on deck circle. And, you know, everyone notices that stuff. And that's the stuff we're trying to get rid of. So is the Gatorade thing not a big deal? Oh, that was a weird way of phrasing it. But the Gatorade handing your kids water is not a big deal. However, I think it still makes sense as a policy for an organization. Again, I had this policy and I'll defend it. I think it makes sense as a policy to just look, we're just going to make the dugout off limits and just like blanket off limits. And I think that's fine. And as parents, I think all of you out there are hoping that your kids become good citizens who can, you know, be independent and take care of themselves and make intelligent decisions. And this is just one step in the right direction for that, where it's like, hey, your kid needs to pack the stuff that he needs for the game. That means his cleats, his glove, you know, all of his stuff, his sunscreen, his water, his snack, whatever he's going to need, he needs to learn to pack that stuff. And I think that's a, a part of growing up, right? And so this this thing on Twitter, I think it was misconstrued a bunch of different ways where, again, I agree with all the coaches who said, this is not going to get someone crossed off a list. And that's fine. That's fair. This is not like anything, a big deal. But again, having that separation between parents and the dugout is something that's gonna be beneficial for everyone in the long term. In today's 90 second mindset, I want you to consider players, what you do the next day after you don't play well. So there's a couple um, things to think about and let's go through them real quick. So number one, for me as a reliever, back when I was still playing, um, everyone tends to do a little more work the day after they don't play well, right? So if I went in pitch and I gave up a run or gave up two runs or something or whatever, didn't pitch well, a lot of players, when they handle that scenario, they'll go out and they'll throw more sliders the next day, or they'll be like doing some mechanical stuff. They'll be trying to like fix what was wrong. Um, it was kind of a policy for me personally that I didn't really do that so much. I kind of took the road of like, look, this is a long season and just because I had a bad outing yesterday doesn't mean I need to actually fix anything. You know, you're working every day on your feel and and throwing all your stuff and and maintaining your mechanics. And just because you don't get good results today doesn't mean something was wrong or broken. Like baseball is just one of those sports that kind of sucks when it comes to, you know, having ups and downs and having bad luck really come back to bite you. So that's one one of the things I'd like you to consider when you have a bad game, don't get too anxious about it where you feel like you have to go fix or change yourself to be ready for the next game. Putting in more work is great. So if you boot a couple ground balls, sure, go take a bunch more ground balls this week, whatever. But at the same time, if you feel like your preparation's been good, don't freak out. Don't get anxious. Don't be like, I got to go change this or my swing, my swing needs work because I went over four. No, like if your swing, if you've been putting in the work and you feel like your swing has been good, then just ride with it. Uh, the other thing is, on the other hand, you should sometimes learn from your failure. Well, you should always learn from failure, but you should take a good look at why you played poorly. So was it a mental thing? Was it a physical thing? Was it something that maybe you're working on that hasn't stuck quite yet? And that's obviously more of a younger player thing. 
So if you've been maybe working on something that man, you went out there like, oh, that just like wasn't right. Like I, I worked on my stride and my stride was just way off and I felt uncomfortable in the batter's box or, you know, whatever it is. Then those are things like, okay, we got maybe go back to the drawing board and I got to work a little harder to, to get that fixed for next time. So that's a case for putting in a little extra or different work between the next game. Um, but, you know, again, I think one of the things that can haunt a lot of young players is that when they don't play well, they tend to get really anxious and they feel like they have to always fix themselves. And, you know, just like with your car, if your car is like running kind of rough one day, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs a, a, a to go to the mechanic every time it makes a funny noise or every time it makes a weird smell or just like it just feels a little rough. You know, cars are pretty resilient, actually, even though they're all made of tons of tons of, uh, of different parts. So even when the parts aren't perfect, they're still the car will still get you where it needs to go. So it's the same thing with athletes, with ball players. You know, baseball's a long season, no matter what level you play at. And just because you didn't perform well today doesn't mean you always have to overhaul yourself before the next game. So I think there's just finding a happy balance and a happy medium about trusting yourself and that you're not always going to play your best, even when you're really well prepared. And then there are also times that you do need to look and say, okay, maybe I do need to fix something this week and really work harder or maybe seek out a different method of doing something so that I can be my best next time. All right, now's time for our listener Q&A portion of the show. Questions from the pious. Pious means to be devoutly faithful. And if you're devout to the game of baseball, then you're exactly the kind of person I want to hear from. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, please email a voice recording to hello at danblewitt.com. All right, today's question was asked actually of me on uh, Twitter in a private message. And this coach said, hey, is 11U, is it too young to start teaching kids sliders? So my general thing, and I've talked about this before, my general thing is that I'd like pitchers to learn how to pitch throwing a fastball and a changeup until they're about 14 years old. And then in their 14U summer, which is the year before they'll start high school, they can start to learn a breaking ball, whether it's a curveball or a slider, so they can start perfecting it so that it's a decent pitch when they're a freshman. And then they're still not going to rely on it. And then uh, until they're 16 or 17, and by the time they're 16 or 17, they can rely on it and, will, and it will be a good reasonably well-developed pitch because they spent a couple years when they were 14, 15, just practicing it and throwing it a lot in pregame, throwing it in bullpens, all that stuff. So when someone asked me like, Hey, should an 11 U team, you know, is it okay if we throw, we teach them sliders? The answer is always going to be two, twofold. Number one, like what are your long-term goals for them? Is it really just to win 11 U tournaments or 12 U tournaments, or is it really for them to be excellent pitchers long-term because I think if the goal is excellent long-term then handicapping them a little bit when they're younger which is not allowing them to throw a breaking ball is going to force them to rely on their mechanics and rely on their their command and and really focus on learning a good change-up because bad change-ups at young ages get hit pretty hard so your change-up has to be pretty good to be effective Uh, I think you know kind of taking that approach where you're putting one hand behind their back a little bit because we can all agree, I think, that if you taught an 11-year-old a good slider, even if it was an average slider, or an average curveball, they're going to probably be more effective as a pitcher than if they don't have it. But you can be as effective as you need to be throwing a fastball that you can command and throwing a really good changeup. So I think 
handicapping kids by not letting them throw a breaking ball early and forcing them to really learn the changeup and the fastball and their command, I think those are good long-term outcomes. And when you add that extra pitch in when they're 14, 15, now they're just like, man, I already know how to command the ball. I have a good changeup. I have good mechanics. Those are things I focus on for my youth. Now I get to throw a slider or a curveball too. It's just like adding another weapon when you're already pretty deadly. So I think that's a really good way to think about it. So, you know, if a coach teaches his 11U team a slider and they're throwing it 10, 15% of the time, which means if they throw 60 pitches, they're throwing, you know, eight, 10 sliders in a game, that's not going to ruin them, right? But it's just that we get to the scenario where uh, you see these youth pitchers throwing 30 curveballs in a 60 pitch outing, and that's what's really problematic. So, you know, if you're a young coach out there, or not, not young, but if you're a coach of young players and you're unsure what you should be teaching them and when you should be introducing breaking balls, err on the side of it being older, closer to high school. I think it's the best thing developmentally. And if your heart's in the right place, winning games isn't the biggest thing. The biggest thing is that they have fun, that they learn the game, that they enjoy their peers, and that they develop the athleticism and the baseball skill that's going to carry them farther on in life. Because they might not all be baseball players. They might be basketball players. They might be football players. And they're probably playing baseball at a young age because it's something they like doing, among other sports. So keeping the focus on that while helping to keep them healthy and, again, help them achieve the long-term success that they also want, I think those are the big long-term goals that you as a coach want. So I think just uh, getting your priorities straight and asking what's best for the group, not just today, but five years from now, is one of the things that's going to really, I think, guide your coaching decisions, no matter if it's pitch calling or what you're teaching them, or just your overall attitude towards coaching. I think the long-term view is almost always going to be the best thing for young players. Well, that's it for today's episode of Dear Baseball Gods. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while improving your baseball IQ, buy one of my books or enroll today in an online pitching course. Sign up for any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code BASEBALLGODS just for being a listener. My online courses walk you through pitching mechanics, strategy, learning new pitches, and mental skills training. They're start to finish an amazing solution for pitchers, parents, and coaches who want step-by-step instruction. Pitching Isn't Complicated, my first book, is a thorough pitching manual with strategy, pitch grips, mechanics, mindset, routines, and other high-level pitching concepts. Not sure what your son is in for if he falls in love with the game? Dear Baseball Gods, the book is my memoir, a story of growing up in the game, persevering through injuries and setbacks, and struggling with identity when I finally had to clean out my locker. Buy a copy today via the links in the show notes, available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook if you just can't get enough of my voice. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my YouTube channel where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of baseball instructional videos. As always, hustle and stay pious. I'm Dan Blewett, and I'll see you next time.